Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. We can go through our entire lives believing that we know who we are. We know what's important to us. We know what matters to us. We know what engages our attention, our conscious lives. But then we have a moment of truth when our inner core and essence emerges. And we may discover, to our surprise, that that truth, that that we thought was important to us, matters to us, really, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter that much. And that part of our life we had no time for, we neglected, we paid no attention to, that is our true core and essence. To use a human analogy, if you ask a person from 1 to 10 how important is health in your life, the answer is 10 being the most important, number 11, the most important thing in your life. The proof is in the pudding, God forbid, your health is challenged, you lose your health, there's nothing you won't do to regain your health. You'll bankrupt yourself. You'll undergo the most painful procedures, anything to restore your health. So we know for a fact, being healthy is the most important thing in your life. But the fact is that most people actively lead unhealthy lives. 80% of the people, 80% of the time, actively lead unhealthy lives. We don't eat healthy, we don't take care of ourselves. Because that's the human condition. The human condition is immaturity. We're not really in touch with ourselves. We know vaguely, fuzzy, behind, subconsciously, we have a vague feeling that being healthy is important to us. But it has no impact in our lives. It has no effect in our lives. It doesn't change us. It doesn't inspire us. It doesn't move us to change our behavior. But then there comes a moment of truth. If God forbid a person discovers that he's challenged, he's challenge. His health is challenged. And suddenly, you know, they did a test with people who were struggling with addictions and they couldn't overcome their addictions. And then when they found out that they were threatened with a terminal illness overnight, their addiction was gone. What happened? What happened was they reached a moment of truth. When you reach, everyone has a threshold in their life. When you reach a moment of truth, when you can't kid yourself anymore, when, it's, when life gets real. You know, there's no time for games and for delusions and for foolishness. This is real. Your life is at stake. Whom are you kidding? So I'm going to delude myself that every puff, of, every puff of smoke that I take is not harming me. Every bit of junk food that I eat is not harming me. And whom am I kidding? So there comes a moment when you stop kidding yourself. And then that core, that essence emerges. So everyone has a moment of truth, and the person can go through his entire life. Unfortunately, many families who are, don't get along, and then there's a moment of truth. There's a death in the family, and, and they discover the depth of that relationship, the depth of that connection. It was buried, maybe for decades. But it's there. It's dormant. It's there. But it was buried, forgotten. In the tumult of life, in the rush of life, we just forget. But then there's a moment of truth when that truth just emerges. You can't deny it anymore. You can't run away from it. You can't pretend it comes out. And it's full clarity. It's full sharpness. 
So this is your truth. Now, this is your truth all along. Crisis can only reveal what's there. Crisis doesn't create anything. We can never forget, let's put it that way, the 9-11. You know, no, one, no one talked about the billionaire, how many homes they had. Or the only thing that mattered at the end of the day, people remembered or cared about was a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother, a good son, a good daughter, a mensch. I mean, but that's, at the end of the day, there are moments of truth when you realize that everything you've been preoccupied with, been engaged with, and took up all your time and energy, you had no time and energy left for anything else, you had no time for your family. Well, that, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Who cares? I'm not going to hug you at the shake case when you're 90 years old. Who cares? Your business associates are not going to keep your company. So everyone, there, everyone has a moment of truth. But it's dormant. It's asleep. It's asleep. What happens when you're asleep? When you're asleep, all your faculties are present. Right? Your eyes, your ears. But you're asleep. They're not functioning. It's there, but it's not functioning. Your eyes don't see. Your ears don't hear. Your mouth doesn't speak. Because those who speak in their sleep you're not functioning. On a conscious level, there's nothing happening. You're asleep. You're dormant. But it's there. The same thing is with the godly soul. The godly soul may be asleep within us. We don't sense it. We don't, we don't even realize its presence. We don't even realize that we're Jewish. Many Jews go through life and they don't even realize, they don't, make, they don't connect. It means nothing to them. It doesn't affect their behavior. It doesn't change them. It doesn't inspire them. It means nothing. I'm a Jew, so what? It's an accident of birth. They have blue eyes and I'm Jewish. So. And it means nothing. It just, they don't think twice about it. So it's dormant. It's present, but it's completely dormant. You're asleep. You sleepwalk through life. Most people do. Not only Jewish-wise, but in general. Most of us sleepwalk through life. We have potential, but that potential lay dormant. That's the tragedy of the human condition. Most of our potential is never realized. It's that rare individual, one in a thousand, who becomes a fully realized human being. Most people are not fully realized. And potential is very subjective. You can have a person who's very impressive, but is he realizing his potential? Maybe he's impressive because he just has impressive talents, and, and with one hand tied behind his back, he could be impressive. But is he really... Is he really challenging himself? Is he really pushing himself? Is he really living up to his potential? Or is he just skating through life very superficially? So how many people are there in this world that really you know, operating in all, all engines are really challenging themselves, are fully alive, fully awake? And that's really the challenge in life. What's the first thing a Jew does in the morning? You wake up. <laughs> the same modality, first you got to wake up. <laughs> and that's what Judaism is all about. It's about waking up. The Torah and the mitzvot is a, is a wake-up call. It's waking us up. It's waking us up to ourselves. Stop sleepwalking. Be in touch with yourself. Be in touch with that core, that essence, that pintle that divine spark that's located at the center of your being. That's your essence. That's your nature. That's who you are. 
wake up, be in touch with yourself, be real, be consistent, be connected. Every moment of your life, every day of your life, every, everything that you say, speak, or act should be consistent, should reflect your true self, your true self, your deepest self, your, your core, your essence. How many people can say that in life? That's, that's liberation. That's freedom. You know what freedom is? Freedom is to actualize your potential, to be true to yourself. Freedom is not about freedom of freedom from obligations or freedom from responsibilities or freedom from effort. That's not, that's not freedom. Slacking is not freedom. Freedom is when you act and live a life that's consistent with who you really are, that is, that, that is the greatest freedom. So it's all about waking up. But most of us go through life and we do sleepwalk through life. So the divine spark, the divine essence within us is asleep. But then there is another level which he calls exile. There's a big difference between exile and sleeping. What's the difference? When you're asleep, there's no one controlling you. You're asleep. You're just not awake. You're just not living up to who you really are. You're asleep. You're dormant. Your potential is dormant. There's another thing to go into exile, to be imprisoned. To be imprisoned means you have someone else controlling you. Someone else lording over you. And what that means spiritually is, it's one thing that the divine spark within us is asleep. It's not active. We don't sense it. We're not conscious of it. We don't feel it. It's not a force in our life. It's not a dynamic, vibrant force in our life. It doesn't change us, doesn't move us, doesn't inspire us, doesn't challenge us. We're totally ignorant or unaware of it. But there's another thing to be in exile. To be in exile means to take the neshama that we have and to abuse it. To use that energy and to use that energy inappropriately. They once said about the the great Hasidic family in Russia, it says their children are either going to become rebbe's, great giant spiritual leaders, or they're going to become gurus, communist gurus, or <laughs> creating a revolution, a socialist revolution, a communist revolution. That's the meaning of exile. And that's a painful exile. When a Jew abuses his divine energy, and instead of using it in a wholesome way, in a joyous way, in a way where he becomes whole and complete and brings healing to himself and real tikkun olam, real healing to the world. You can't heal the world if you yourself are split inside. When you yourself are disconnected and, and discombobbled. And you yourself are not in touch with who you really are. How could you bring peace to the world if you're not at peace with yourself, if you're not at peace with your own Jewishness? If you love this stranger more than you love your own brother and sister, your own fellow Jew, you're more sympathetic with your enemies than you are with your own family and your own friends. It's like a person who's kind to his neighbor, but he beats his wife and beats his child. That's a dysfunctional person, a very sick person. A person who's dysfunctional can't bring tikkun olam to anyone, can't bring any healing to anyone. Only a person who himself is at peace with himself and charity begins at home, when you're at peace with your own family and at peace with yourself, then you will be a wonderful neighbor and you will bring peace and healing and wholesomeness to the world around you. So this is abuse. This is exile. This is very painful. 
when a Jew uses his Jewishness to love the entire world without realizing why do I love the entire world? Why do I care about the whole? Why are we the first ones to evacuate the Vietnamese or to help the world in every corner of the world? Because of our Jewishness. It's because you're Jewish. Because you believe that this is God's world. And because you believe every human being is created in the image of God. That's why we care about the whole world. But don't use that as a reason to deny your Jewishness. On the contrary, that should be a reason, of course, to celebrate with you. So this is a painful exile. It's so painful to see a Jew, a self-hating Jew. Is any nation on earth who makes peace with its enemies or still their sworn enemies? There's no nation on earth. Where does this phenomenon come from? Where does this illness come from? You don't make peace with enemies. You make peace with former enemies that are no longer your enemies. To make peace with an enemy is absolutely absurd. You defend yourself against your enemies. You defend your wife and children against murderers. This is the meaning of exile. There's no deeper, darker exile. And there's never been a moment in Jewish history there was a deeper, darker exile in the present moment. Because it's one thing that the Jewish people were exiled from their own land. The Romans exiled us. The Greeks exiled us. Not by our will. It's another thing to exile yourself. Never in the annals of human history did a nation exile itself from its own homeland. Never. It's unprecedented. Where does this illness come from? This is a painful exile. When a Jew is so alienated from his own heritage, and his own history, and his own cradle, and his own people, and his own Torah, and his own God. Is there a more painful exile? Yes, we're the most affluent generation of Jews that ever lived. But this is a soul exile. This is a spiritual exile. A deep, dark exile. When a person loses his identity and loses his pride and loses his genuineness and channels all that energy, that genius and that brilliance and that energy and that life force and that vitality, for foreign causes, alien causes, causes that, may, that are detrimental. Instead of seeking and searching his spirit and his soul and his being and his identity in his own backyard, in his own Jewishness, instead, he seeks it in foreign pastures, alien pastures, foreign pastures that are so far from Judaism. And of course, which can never, ultimately can never satisfy the Jewish soul. Because it's not what you're looking for. And you'll always remain restless. Because it's not, it's not you. It's a nice distraction. And you can be involved in mysticism and spirituality and religion. But it's, it's a nice distraction. But it's not you. It's not who you are. It's not your essence. The only thing that can satisfy a Jew's insatiable appetite, a Jew's insatiable hunger, godliness, is studying Torah, every word of Torah, every letter in the Torah, studying the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, the soul of the Torah, and doing the mitzvot. And praying to Hashem. And doing the mitzvot. Acts of goodness and kindness and all the mitzvot. Between man and man and between man and God. That's the only thing that can satisfy this deep, innate, inherent urge and hunger and need that a Jew has. That's why it says in this week's Torah portion, 
the only Torah portion that's named after an anti-Semite who tried to annihilate the Jewish people, like a Hitler. And in this Torah portion, we find the greatest prophecies about the future of the Jewish people, the greatest prophecies of Mashiach and Bilam, by Bilam. And he compares the Jewish people to a crouching lion. Just like a lion, the lion is crouching. Yes, maybe a Jew is in exile. He's crouching, you don't see his power, you don't see his strength, you don't see the divine, you don't see his divinity, you don't see the godliness, you don't see the holiness, you don't see the wholesomeness. But the lion is there, intact. And in a moment's notice, the lion could come out of his crouch and come roaring to life in a split second. Because it's there, it's dormant, but it's there. And in a moment of truth, we're just celebrating 40 years since the Six-Day War, that was a moment of truth for our generation. When Israel was facing another holocaust, there was a, a, an awakening. It stirred the consciousness of every Jew in the world. There was an awakening, and that sparked the whole Baltruvan movement, where hundreds of thousands of Jews eventually found their way back to, to Yiddishkeit. That sparked, that was an awakening. When you had the kibbutznik, who grew up in the left-wing kibbutz, standing at the wall, asking his religious comrade, he says, please tell me. Tell me a Jewish prayer. I don't know any Jewish prayer. He says, say the Shema. I don't know the Shema. Please read it for me and I'll say it with you. And he said the Shema. And we have the picture. He's crying like a baby. Inexplicably. Couldn't even explain it to himself. I grew up an atheist. I grew up with aggressive atheism. I grew up with a self-hating. To be a self-hating Jew, I grew up eating bread on Pesach. Eating Chazer on Yom Kippur. Hashemer And here I am crying like a baby when the wall was liberated. How do you explain it? It's divine. It's biblical. It's a miracle. Because it's there. The lion is there. It's dormant. It's asleep. But in the moment's notice, when something touches you so deeply, when you reach a threshold, a moment in your life, it wakens. It wakes up. It's there. And you can't even explain it. You don't even know where it comes from. It has a life of its own. It just has a life of its own. And you feel drawn and connected and you feel Jewish and, and powerfully connected. So much so that you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. Push comes to shove. If you had a choice to deny your Jewishness, not you would rather give up your life. 95% of Jews, all walks of life, not only saints and scholars and rabbis and mystics, simple people, cobblers, tailors, prostitutes, thieves. In the moment of truth, if you were put to test, are you going to deny your Jewishness? You'd rather give up your life. It's not a choice. It's not an option. It has a life of its own. I'm a Jew. How can I give up my Jewishness? It's who I am. I can't deny who I am. That is death to me. To deny who I am, that is death. Being Jewish, that's life. That's everything. That's the core and essence of your being. And that comes from, from the essence of our being. And we have it intact. The moment you're born, you'll never become one or the other more Jewish. You can go to yeshiva for 30 years, you can learn to appreciate it more, you can learn to tap into it, you can learn to express it, but you don't become one or the other more Jewish. And you're just as Jewish as you are on a Wednesday afternoon if you're traveling in, in, in Thailand, Thailand as you are on Yom Kippur, sitting here in New York in Yom Kippur or sitting in Jerusalem. It makes no difference. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And the Jew hasn't changed. The same Jew with the same Jew that stood at Sinai and the same Jew that stood at the, in the temple and the same Jew that witnessed the crossing, the miraculous crossing of the Jordan and the same Jew that stood there with Rabbi Akiva. It's the same Jew. The Jew hasn't, the core, the essence hasn't changed. Superficially, maybe we speak different languages and we wear different clothes, but the essence hasn't changed. The force, the power, the potency, the, the relevancy hasn't changed. One iota. It's just as powerful, just as potent, 
today as it was 3,800 years ago. And you see that most in our generation. When you have Jews who grew up without the benefit of a Jewish education, due to no fault of their own, who have been cut off for two, three generations from anything Jewish, and they've rediscovered their Jewish, universally educated, they've been exposed to every culture under the sun, and yet they've discovered hundreds of thousands of young Jews, intelligent, successful young Jews, have discovered their Jewishness with a vengeance, with a passion. Where is this coming from? This corroborates and confirmed everything we're talking about here. That being Jewish is our essence. It's who we are. And therefore it's the most natural thing in the world for a Jew to be connected to God. So why wait for that test? Why wait for that moment of truth? Shema Yisrael. Think about it. If this is who I am and this is what we have inside of us, then let me wake myself up. It's always better to wake yourself up. It's easier. It's uh, more enjoyable than to be rudely awakened. (laughs) Wake yourself up. And live your life accordingly. If I know for a fact that in the moment of truth, this is who I am, that means this is who I am now. Here and now, today, in this moment in my life, in my present moment, wherever I am in life, whatever circumstances I find myself, whatever I am involved in, this is my truth. Whether I'm in politics or business or art, it doesn't matter. This is who I am. No matter what education I had, I didn't have. This is who I am. So I might as well live it, tap into it, express it. In a joyous way, in a loving way. This is the foundation of the whole Hasidic movement. It started with the Baal Shem Tov, the love of each and every Jew. Because unlike other religions that really um, emphasize the greatness of their saints and their <coughs> mystics and their scholars, in Judaism, we emphasize the greatness of our simple people, the simple Jew, the cobblers, the tailors. Because look, in the moment of truth, who's ready to sacrifice his life? Every Jew, any Jew, no matter who they are. Not only the great rabbis, mystics, and scholars who are steeped in religion, in spirituality, in mysticism, in holiness. Simple people. This is where you see a Jew's greatness. It's about that hidden love that's concealed, but it's there. It's dormant, but it is there. It's full force and strength. And that, that's really the greatness. That's why the Baal Shem Tov taught his students. His students were the leading rabbis and scholars of Eastern Europe. And he taught them to respect the simple truth, to be in awe of the simple truth to get out of their ivory towers and to connect and learn from simple truth. Because look at the greatness that each and every Jew has within them. Look at the soul. The greatness is not a man-made greatness. It's not how keen you are intellectually. It's not how intensely you are, how spiritually intense you are, how mystical you are, how spiritual you are. There's something much deeper, much more profound than all of the above. It's the Jew within the Jew. That divine essence, that divine spark that has a life of its own. No human fingerprints in it. It comes directly from Hashem. And you have it intact in the moment you're born. The simplest Jew is just as connected as the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar. And we're all equal. There's no condescension. There's no looking down. There's no categorization, labeling one Jew, another Jew. 
All the labels melt and fall by the wayside. What labels? A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. What difference is there? Forum, conservative, orthodox, atheist, unaffiliated. A Jew is a Jew. All these labels, artificial labels, including orthodox, they create artificial barriers between one Jew and the next. This is one of the most powerful chapters in, in Tanya, and it really explains very clearly the foundation of the Tanya, how being Jewish is close to every Jew's heart. If only we were to realize and to wake up and make the connection and realize how important, discover ourselves, discover our true selves. Go on an, an, an adventure, an exploration, discover your real self. The moment of truth helps us reveal to us who we really are. Challenges not to die for, for God. Challenges to live, to live for Hashem. Although you think to yourself it may be more difficult, maybe it's easier, just one, it's a one-time thing. You die, you die a martyr, you die a hero. But to live your daily life and face all the challenges and make all the small sacrifices every day of your life, when you have a choice to think positive and think negative, and it's so much easier to think negative. It takes so much effort to push yourself to think positive. Or it's so much easier to take the path of least resistance. Slander, talk slander, say a little lie. It's so much more difficult to push yourself to always tell the truth and be honest and always speak kindly of other people. It's so much easier to behave negatively. You know, it's not only junk food, it's also junk lifestyle. Junk lifestyle is more tempting and junk lifestyle is so much easier. It's so much more difficult, it takes so much discipline to eat healthy, to live a healthy lifestyle, a wholesome lifestyle. You know, it's so much easier to take the path of least resistance. So it's the small sacrifices that we have to take each and every day of our lives to live up to our essence, live up to our potential, live up to our Jewishness, to think Jewish and speak Jewish and act Jewish 24-7 every day of our lives, to live on a healthy diet of Jewish living and Jewish observance and, 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 and wholesome living and, and uh, godly and divine living and good living. And of course, it's rewarding. Eat junk food, you, feel, you, feel, you don't feel good at the end of the day. You, you live a junk lifestyle. It feels very empty, hollow and shallow and very superficial at the end of the day. You eat healthy, you eat with discipline, you eat properly, you take care of yourself. You live a healthy and wholesome lifestyle based on the code of Jewish law, Jewish lifestyle. You feel like a million dollars at the end of the day. No one ever regretted doing a good mitzvah. No one ever said, oh, shucks, I pushed myself, I went to shul, I woke up early, I studied Torah, I gave tzedakah. At the end of the day, you feel like a million dollars. You pushed yourself. I'm a chayah, it feels great. And this becomes the motivation for living a full Jewish life. Not only mechanically and by rote, going through the motions and behaviorally going through the mitzvot and doing the mitzvot, but doing the mitzvot with life, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, doing the mitzvot with passion, with love, with focus, concentration. The mitzvot should inspire you. The mitzvot should move you. You should eagerly look forward to studying Torah. It should be the highlight of your day. You should eagerly look forward to do a mitzvot. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.